ladies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy. I'm Joe Stapleton. Here's my work wife. He's James Hardigan. Happy summer vacation, Joe. Yes, coming up on today's show, we are coming to you from summer vacation. Well, no, probably not for me. I'm probably spending my own money to go do comedy somewhere. <laughs> James, James is probably soaking in olive oil on the Amalfi Coast. He goes on real vacations sometimes. <laughs> Uh, not quite that part of the world, but I'm hoping that by the time people have listened to the show, I will have had a family holiday. All right. Very good. Looking forward to hearing about all that when we are finally back or maybe in our third summer special. Yes. Turns out there's going to be another one of these. Today's special is Poker Movie Monday on a Wednesday, recorded on a Thursday on vacation. <laughs> uh, what did uh, what what did your teacher used to do when she or he needed a little time? To themselves in school, right? Throw a movie on. Absolutely. Right? Stick, an, stick a VHS tape in the machine, dodgy 4-3 picture on a cathode ray tube TV. You would walk into the classroom and hear that little buzz of the TV the second you yeah. walked in. And you'd be like, oh, it's movie day. Fuck yes. Uh, that's what we're doing this week. We're chucking a movie on. It's the man with the golden arm. And I have some questions. I, I know the answers to these questions now, obviously. But... When this movie came up, I had some questions. The who, the what, the when, and the why. Why this movie? This movie does have a poker connection. It was suggested by PokerStar Strag. It's a film I've been meaning to see for some time. Ironically, not because of the poker connection, because it was one of the first films to deal with the subject matter of drug addiction. In fact, it had a hard job getting across the line with the censorship authorities of the time in the mid-1950s. So in many ways, this was groundbreaking. And I like Frank Sinatra in films. So it's a film I've wanted to see. So I'm glad it got suggested. And I'm glad I finally had the chance to watch it. Okay, so the who is Frank Sinatra? The what is gambling and possibly drug addiction? The yes. when is 1955? Yes. And the why, obviously, is because there's some some gambling-related themes in this. James, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I have lots to say about what you just said about the drug stuff. I was pretty confused, to be honest, that something this graphic and this um, – I wouldn't even say graphic, but – it doesn't beat around the bush about what's going on in this movie, and I was pretty shocked from for 1955. I think once you kind of sit back and think, whoa, this was made more than half a century ago, and this is the depiction of addiction, cold turkey, you think, wow. When you consider how little else you could get away with in Hollywood at that time, this was still under the old Hayes Code before the rating system that came in at the end of the 60s. So, yeah. Groundbreaking is the right word. Whatever you think about it, you cannot underestimate its importance. And I believe it's one of those movies that has been put in the Library of Congress because oh, nice. of its significance in movie making history. Cool. Well, we're going to get into all that a little bit more in just a bit with a man. I call him the man with a golden backswing because he's pretty good at golf. Uh, he's an actor. He's a writer. He's a good friend of mine. Big poker fan. Nick Pine from AP Bio is going to be here to discuss the film with us. And super fan Stefan Razvan Ean will be here later. Uh, we'll find out if I pronounced that correctly and if he can remember more about the movie than I can. Considering I just watched it last night, maybe I'll put up a good fight. Who knows? I predict that this is going to be luck of the draw because looking at these questions, it's a classic Patrick quiz where 75% of the questions are like really, really easy. 
But there's a couple in there where you'll be like, how am I supposed to know that? Oh, boy. Okay. I'm not looking forward to that, but I am looking forward to talking about this movie. Let's get straight to it. Please welcome this week's guest, Nick Pine. Hi, Nick. What's up? What's up, buddy? So I'm I'm a huge fan uh, of of, uh, you guys as a duo. Obviously, Joe and I are are good buddies now. Uh, James, this is our first time meeting, but I've been, you know, a massive watch every, you know, EPT and, and and poker stars thing that you guys have done wow. since you've been doing it together. So, well, thank um, you. There's I, not a, there's not a better duo in in poker commentary. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, uh, Nick. Where did this start for you? The love of poker. So, uh, our our manager, Ted, great guy. Um, love Ted. Love, love Ted. Ted. Uh, so I've been with Ted for 12 years and I knew that he was a poker guy and he uh, kind of started showing me the ropes a little bit, like, you know, I don't know, four or five years ago. And then I just, just took to it. Just kind of fell in love with it. And then, you know, that was that. Ted, Ted's going to get his 10% one way or another. Either he's yeah. going to, he's going to get it from you booking jobs or he's going to sit you down and make you play limit hold'em with him. Right at, at yeah. Hollywood Park. Exactly, he's going to stake you. He's going to you know take what? it. Yeah, I'd be prepared to give up fifteen percent if it meant I didn't have to play limit hold'em. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, before we get to the movie, Nick, I, I I think it's cool to talk about movies and acting with actors, but I want to yeah. get a little bit of your background, uh, your path. Uh, if I'm correct, you went from uh, Minnesota to Boston to L.A. That's correct. Very good. And how was you? You stand up and you act. Give me like a little bio. Give me a little. Take me around the world. So the long and the short of it is, I started uh, acting in plays in high school, and uh, I just really liked performing. And then um, started doing stand up around seventeen, and and I knew I wasn't going to go to you know theater or art school, but I also knew that I loved performing. So I was like, well. I can keep doing stand up and go to, you know, school like everybody else. And um uh yeah, I met Ted when I was 19. And um had you moved to LA already or this was in Boston? I had not. No, I was visiting uh my buddy Nick Swordson out in LA and uh just happened to meet Ted and and he was like uh when you graduate you should be here. Uh so that was that. And I graduated college uh, almost 10 years ago now and moved right to LA and that was that and you're still playing teenagers sort of those days are are dwindling but yeah that's that that has been that has been the thing I have a, I have a movie coming out at the end of the year where I'm playing like 23 which oh. I think is the old which I think is that's a huge step <laughs> Talk to me about uh, things happen for you relatively quickly when you get out here, right? Like you got that movie just getting started. Uh, that was a that was a few years. That was about four years in, okay, which I guess so, in LA terms is relatively quickly. And then you went from that to Office Christmas Party, which, in my opinion, is one of my favorite comedies of the last decade. It was actually I did Office Christmas Party first, and then just okay. getting started. But they were within like three months of each other. And then and the then, last. Yeah. 
f- from there, then, I, then the next spring was AP Bio. Uh, and then that's been the last four years. And then we just got canceled at the end of last year. So Nick uh, is available. He is. All the uh, the entertainment industry titans that listen to this, Nick Pine is available. And Joe all can three, connect all, you with all, Ted. All three <laughs> That's of them. Right. Yeah, let me introduce you to Ted, Nick. Uh, <laughs> good guy, is he? It, yeah, he's all right. I like him. He's done good stuff for me. <laughs> uh, so before we get into uh, th- this particular movie, one last thing is that you have, I, I think you've written a, a gambling movie. A po- how do you how do you describe it? What can you tell us about the movie you wrote? Uh, in, in development, it's a, uh, uh, poker movie dressed up as a heist movie. Uh, it's, I don't know, Ocean's Eleven-ish. Comedy. Yes. I like. Very much so. I yeah. like. So, what are some of your favorite movies and or gambling movies, so we can get a sense of your taste before we head into The Man with the Golden Arm? So, I mean, it's cliche, but, but rounders is my, I mean, I I think, I think that's the movie that made everybody fall in love with poker and really introduced it in the most kind of grounded way that we had seen, you know, um, uh, obviously, uh, the card counter. Oh, Nick, (laughs) Nick, come on. (laughs) I remember, I remember, uh. James, where I was sitting with Joe, like in in a in a in a stage on Universal Lot, he was doing a Pepsi commercial right next to the stage where we were doing season three of AP Bio, and I went over there and we were sitting there. This was like a week before COVID started, and he was like, "I'm going. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow to go teach Oscar Isaac how to play poker." And, That's how it uh, happened. I thought that was the coolest thing. Yeah. That. That was pretty cool. I've been dining on that, on that for a long time, though. I need something else cool to happen yeah, uh, I, in the meantime. I think it's fair to say in the same way that The Card Counter is not really a poker movie. It's a movie with poker in it. You can say the same about The Man with the Golden Arm, which is the film we're going to talk about today. Just out of interest, yes. Nick, had you seen this film before, before we tasked you with... I had not. It's, it's no. rare that we get a movie that literally no one involved in the show no. has seen before. But that's mm-hmm. where we're at right now. Um not only had I not seen it, I don't think I've ever seen a Frank Sinatra movie before. Like, I don't think I've ever seen okay. him act. I can't think of a movie that he's been in. Besides the original Ocean's Eleven. I think this that's is your true second, then, well. probably. Yeah. Okay. So you- I'm going to make two very quick recommendations. Okay. From Here to Eternity is a masterpiece, and that's the film for which Frank Sinatra won an Oscar. Right. It's the okay. role which famously the story's told in The Godfather about the fact the studio didn't want to give him the role. And the second one, which again is probably my favorite Frank Sinatra movie, and certainly I think his best ever performance, is The Manchurian Candidate, the original version the from original. the 1960s. Yeah, which is a okay. superb, superb film. Excellent. Okay, so, so he's regarded as a good actor because i would say there are parts of this and i'm really interested to get to nick's opinion when we when we do get to certain scenes uh, yeah he's i I think think there's parts of this he's really good and parts of this he is awful like really really bad i agree i think the first thing to say about this is it's very much a film of its time and the artistic decisions shall we say taken towards 
dialogue and the performance of that dialogue are very 1950s. There's a very heightened sense of melodrama, shall we say, about this movie. But if you can look past that, I think there's a lot of good stuff here. I agree. I agree. Maybe I just have more trouble looking past melodrama. Yeah. But I think you have to in order to appreciate um, what was good about it. So, unfortunately, I made the mistake after watching this film of looking into the book that it was based on, written by Nelson Algren, and I read a synopsis of the book, and I'm like... Before the movie? No, after watching the movie. Luckily, I did it that way around rather than the other way around, but I'm thinking the book is grittier. I think the book is probably a more... a less melodramatic story... I mean, Otto Preminger asked for it to be completely rewritten, the story, to the point where characters do different things, etc. In the book, for example, this is just one small thing, and we're going to get into the film in detail in a moment, Um, but the main character, played by Frank Frank Sinatra, who coincidentally is called Frankie, uh, has a wife called Zosh, who is in a wheelchair, and the movie makes it absolutely clear that she is faking it. The book is more subtle. In the book... She is in a wheelchair and it's hinted that her injuries are psychological. It's not that she is faking it. It's just that she's not actually physically paralyzed. Um, And I guess it's nuanced enough to suggest that she may be kind of like staying in the wheelchair because she wants to play the victim. Whereas the movie is very black and white, if you'll forgive the awful pun in how it depicts that character. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, And that was, that was very, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it is, it's a much more interesting plot device to not uh, um, tip your hand, also no pun intended, in that, yeah. with, in, reg- in regards yeah. to that piece of it. That's a much more interesting device and, yeah. uh, to do it that way. And I think it's probably, you know, unless you're a really, really, really um, skilled filmmaker, I'm not saying Premier isn't that is probably easier to do in text to, to maintain that nuance that is true. than it is on film. That is true. I mean, look, at, I mean, it's kind of like the Better Call Saul thing, right? With Saul's brother. In that case, you're like, is he faking it? Does he really believe he has these injuries? Those sorts of things. And look at how much skill it takes to sort of pull that thing off. One thing I kind of thought that maybe it was by accident, maybe it was on purpose, maybe a product of its time, but like, I actually saw like a lot of similarities to Rounders in this movie. Um, and maybe drew some conclusions that I shouldn't have. But one of them was like, in the poker game of life, women are the rake. Like, I really yeah. felt like that was sort of the, what they're by making her fake the injury. It sort of made her more of like a villain. It, it was like a very I, anti-woman sort of theme in this. It, it, um, by the way, which one is Kim Novak, his wife or the girlfriend? No, Kim Novak is Molly. And, yeah, okay, uh, girlfriend. Yeah. Um, the... I mean, let's try and go through this kind of in sequence. And the first thing to say is, so I watched this with the subtitle switched on. The very first subtitle was Jazzy Theme Tune, which is the perfect description of Elmer Bernstein's theme music. (laughs) And my first takeaway from this is like, literally from the first frame of this movie, Saul Bass did the credits. And sure enough, when when the actual credit for the credits comes up, it was Saul Bass credits. But um. Again, you have to look past this being a film of its time when it begins with Frankie returning to the big city on a bus 
When I say big city, I mean studio backlot. I mean the entire movie I, takes I'm, place. I'm obviously, studio backlot. Yeah, I thought it was a Broadway then, play. <laughs> <laughs> the way that they were trying to communicate, obviously for the time, like this is a rough neighborhood, and then it's just, it's just, hey, get out of here. <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's. I I don't know if you remember this, but what I thought I saw is there's a guy being arrested, but the way he's being arrested is the cop is like telling him without any physical contact get in the back seat <laughs> yeah yeah and he do, he's like ah, come on and he does i'm like oh that was that was a night that was nice when it was <laughs> uh, just just the <laughs> fact that every single key location be it the bar frankie's home louis home where the poker game is are all like within three doors of each other it's like literally yeah. one tiny section of street where everything happens in this neighborhood yeah the but, world's smallest city but again um and I, I think what's interesting is the film does start with an element of mystery, right? There's no kind of like, when he gets off the bus, we don't know where he's been. We don't know where he's coming from. And it's not immediately revealed. It's not like there's someone on the street going, oh, Frankie, great to have you back. Did you beat that drug addiction after you got sent to prison for six months? Yeah. I, I, I actually did appreciate that the movie, at least at this point, didn't quite pander, right? Like there was yeah. no insanely stupid expositional dialogue there is a bit of a mystery oh what's i didn't even know when like i think it was like a prostitute calls to him like says hey frankie like i, I was like oh does she know or is, is was that just like a thing that yeah. prostitutes called men on the street frankie and i kind of appreciated that that there was no like beat you over the head with like what the backstory was completely um we've already said that this is a film that's mostly about addiction and not about poker and we get our first taste of addiction again if you'll forgive the awful pun when we see an alcoholic being taunted at the bar um by louis who i guess is one of the key villains of the story um who, that's that's darren that's darren mcgavin right who i didn't yes. realize for the longest yes. time uh, so if i could comment darren mcgavin i think is phenomenal in this movie oh yeah so good i think louis is the best character and i think Absolutely. he gives the best performance yeah um, okay cool and from the word go after being horrible to this poor guy at the bar he's immediately trying to tempt frankie back to the dark side and making it clear that here is a character who clearly has been suffering from addiction and now has been treated after being sent away um and, now and even though it is a melodramatic sequence yes that that thing that where he's he's messing with the guy with, with the the glass and you know taunting this alcoholic is it, it hits you over the head but it's a perfect um it's a perfect lead into what this character is right yeah so uh, it, it 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 if you can forgive the lack of subtlety it introduces what he's about perfectly yeah so and this is where it's revealed that Frankie wants a gig with a band. He wants to be a drummer. He's a poker dealer who wants to be a drummer. Uh, and that is his dream. I have to say, by the way, from what we see at the start of the movie, I was thinking, I hope your poker dealing is better than your drumming, pal, because you're not going to have a career with any band at this rate. When he's demonstrating his drums to 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 poor Zosh. Although, I say poor Zosh, and we've already discussed this, <laughs> she comes across as slightly unhinged at the start, and then you realize... She's faking it. That's right. I also like that they uh, tried to normalize herpes uh, in a a very progressive (laughs) scene. Yes. Early on. Uh, That's cool. Stuff that can be ashamed of. 
Two-thirds of the population gets cold sores, okay? People, take it easy. So we've got the character of Sparrow who steals some stuff from a store. Uh, Frank is wearing a stolen suit, so he gets arrested, gets put back in jail. And along comes Louis and Schwiefka, who has the best name of any character in any movie ever. Schwiefka, who basically blackmails him and says, you either stay in jail or I can bail you out, but you have to deal my poker game because you are the man with the golden arm. You're the best poker dealer around. Um, There is a twist to this, which we're going to come to later. So, by the way, at this point, I thought the thing that Frankie was trying to avoid was gambling. Right. I I wasn't sure what his addiction was. Uh, So when we finally find out what it is, I was kind of shocked that for 1955, and I'm sure we're getting to that. Okay, um, and maybe it's because I knew going in that this was about drug addiction, that it wasn't such a shock to me. Um, but we have the first poker game or the first poker scene in the movie, which has some awesome bants and expressions that we definitely need to bring back, Joe. It doesn't mean a thing if you haven't got the king. You bet more, you get more. But, <laughs> but he may have the bants, but Frankie is now a really shit dealer because he needs a fix. Right. And so something that I didn't get at this point that I did get later on, too, that the dealer is also playing for the house. Well, this is the reveal that's coming up later on. And I'd like to wait and get to that later because it kind of blew my mind a little bit and made the movie make no sense. And by the way, again, one of the reasons why I wanted to look at the synopsis of the book is like in the book, right? He's just a dealer in a game which is being run by this criminal, Schwiefka. It's not like he's actually playing in the game as well and it makes a lot more sense that the players in that game would want a dealer who's really proficient at dealing cards and running the game rather than playing against someone who's really good it literally makes no sense okay cool so we've got some issues with the big poker scene coming up later on about this scene what i wanted to mention is i love how he's dealing in a visor that's like the cliche like he's got that (laughs) see-through visor and then when he gets up the other guy can't start dealing until he hands the visor off to him as if that is some sort of essential part to being a dealer. Like, oh, no, I can't deal without the visor. I, House I rules, it. man. <laughs> Absolutely. So before you joined us, Nick, the one thing that um, Joe and I were saying is that in a way we were surprised at how openly a movie of this era dealt with the issue of drugs, of drug addiction and we even see louis basically cooking a fix for frankie right even though it's never i don't think ever explicitly said what it is i mean i i I guess we are led to assume it's heroin but yes i don't think that's ever said we see a guy tying off like to me that's like pretty graphic to see like a dude like put a yeah. necktie around his arm to see the spoon come out to see absolutely uh to, i think we do even see a syringe at some point drawing from the spoon i mean i was blown away that that all of this like pretty specific imagery made it into this movie yeah well, this was uh, it didn't surprise me as much because i don't know if you know this but i think it was up until like around this time you could order morphine from the Sears catalog. Did wow. you know this? Oh, okay. So it's, it was, it, it was, was advertised at least in the, uh, around the turn of the 20th century to board housewives. 
And you oh, could wow. order it from the Sears catalog and get a whole kit and everything. Well, and it was basically like, are you bored at home? Like, get a little strung out. That's incredible. Life will be less boring. Yeah. That is oh, incredible. Yeah. Well, here, here is a hashtag fun fact. And again, this is a difference between the movie and the book. In the book, it is morphine, not heroin. Okay. And the mm-hmm. reason for his addiction is while serving in World War II, he was injured. And he was medicated with morphine. And that's how he developed his addiction. And, and I think that makes him a bit more of a victim. And potentially, in the eyes of most people, maybe more sympathetic as a character Even today i mean that that story is retold now right vicodin I mean, oxycontin whatever well, yeah, it is I mean, just yeah. people going yeah veterans going to the va yeah because they're they're hurt yeah and yeah and then that's how it starts so i guess by not making him the victim and making him more of like a villain uh, it probably made it easier to get it into the film that way by making him less sympathetic maybe yes um Although, you know, I, I think we are meant to have a, a certain amount of sympathy as he slides back into addiction. It's inevitable. We know that he's promising to stay clean and Dr. Lennox has sorted him out, but it's not going to last. And sure enough, the proverbial monkey returns. The monkey yes. is back. Um, uh, I thought the I did, line I did about like the-, the way I did like the way they show for the time, how they communicate that he's strung out besides the melodramatic acting like the, you know, aggressively drinking water out of a pot is just like, Oh, he hasn't shaved in a day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyone who hasn't shaved he must be strung out. Cause he hasn't <laughs> shaved since yesterday. Yeah. Which comes up later. Yes. So he gets talked into dealing the big game, even though he's got this huge audition coming up, right? Which is really important. He's going to get a gig potentially in a band as a drummer. And he really cares about the audition, but money talks and bullshit walks and Louis and Schwiefka say you're going to get like a huge cut of the game. A whole $250, Joe. I mean, that's whenever I hear something like that, I'm like, that must have been a lot of money. Like, I don't know if you saw, but hot dogs were 10 cents. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of fucking hot dogs. Well, and that's when they promise him this. I'm thinking, wow, this mu- this game must play big if they're willing to offer him that cut of the rake. And at that point, when we see the big game being played, this is when I realized Frankie isn't just dealing. He's also playing in the game with house money. So the house is playing in the game, raking the game, bankrolling the dealer in the game. And I didn't like this at all. To me, this showed a complete misunderstanding of how poker works by the filmmakers. It, it had that aspect to it. And then also it had that Remember when we watched big hand for the little lady and they had Western rules and they had that line where he goes, they keep raising me. They have too much money. They keep raising me out of every pot. And I was like, Oh, is this one of those movies too? Where like, if you can't call, you automatically lose. Like I, it started losing me at this point also. I, yeah. What's really weird is like the first poker scene, I was like, oh, like this kind of feels cool. And it feels like maybe they actually got poker, whatever style of poker they're playing. Maybe they got it right. And then it just totally comes off the rails in this scene. I think they're playing five card stud, right? Is that what you saw? I I thought maybe. I think so, yeah. 
I mean, I, I was thinking seven, but you're right. It was it was definitely a stud game. Um, and now that you now you mentioned it, there's way too few actions for it to be seven cards. I think stuff. the first card was down and dirty, and then the rest were face up. Look, despite the weird setup of this game and the idea of Frankie playing for the house with their money and everyone wanting to play him, even though he's really good, there is one interesting hand, um, which is against these two rich guys who've come to play in the game and obviously the hands that are showing trip aces two pair and a possible straight flush and as per usual with any movie poker scene string betting is happening left right and center and there's an amazing moment where even though both these guys are in the hand they're like colluding like yeah you need to call this because he's clearly bluffing it's like whoa 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 one player to a hand please so yes so as someone who's tried to write some uh, poker scenes for things, Nick, maybe you can tell me how you solved this when you wrote your thing. Poker is like a very in-your-head game, right? And so rounders, yeah. you got to use voiceover. You have to – the only way – there's only two ways to communicate what you're thinking. Either uh, it's voiceover or to speak to someone else. So you end up having to just have these players – openly mock the one player to a hand rule uh, because there's no other way to like express with, Oh, you could do the thing that what's his name does in Casino Royale. He's like, he's got a full house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you, you have, you have to use really shitty uh, storytelling devices in order to make poker nuance clear to a general. I, I think, I think that's just, the way it had, like with, um, I, I thought Molly's game did a pretty good job of this with with graphics. That's right. true. I, I mean, and 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 if I was, I, I don't think we don't have any graphics in our script, but it's like, I was like, that kind of makes sense. I mean, it, it, that's why poker is broadcast the way it is, right? I mean, it's not. It, it is a very, like you said, in your head game, and un, unless you're, you know one of the however many hundred thousand people who play poker regularly, you're not going to get the nuance of the drama at, at, at each stage of a hand. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. you, you, you kind of have to, and it just, it just is what it is. Um, it, it, yeah. I, and you, yeah, you have to indicate with dialogue or, or show graphics or do, do something. Uh, so yeah, I think I think with poker for a general population, it just kind of is what it is. Yeah, so it's we just hard. have these two guys colluding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, what ends up happening is one of them folds trip aces. The guy who had two pairs showing actually has a full house and also folds, thinking he's up against a straight flush. And Frankie didn't have anything. I think he had a pair of nines. It's revealed at the end, and the and, guys and are, the guy dig, the guy digs them out of the muck. He and he dukes it. Yeah. yeah. And he is not happy about it. And this is the point where Frankie's like, it's daylight. I'm done with the game. I've got my audition coming up. But he needs a fix. And the only person who can give him a fix is Louis. And Louis is not willing to give him that fix unless he comes back and deals the game. And worse than that, rigs the game. He's persuaded to cheat. And I guess, Joe, this is what you were alluding to earlier with the rounders parallel. Totally knackered. He gets caught base dealing and gets slapped around. Yeah, I caught a hanger, Sarge. It's like right fucking there. It's like it, the guy grabs him by the wrist. It's I'm not saying that it's it's stolen or by any means, but there's obviously shades of that. And then the ensuing fight scene. Now I have to ask, 
you guys probably don't know the answer to this. Is slapping someone around something that actually happened, or is that just the only way they can portray violence on screen in 1955? I'm going to say it's probably more the latter than the former. Okay. I, I, I would agree. Okay. Because it makes the punishment for this seem not all that bad. <laughs> it also is just a little bit comedic when i don't think yes. it's meant to be it's meant no. to be kind of like a, a dramatic scene you're just thinking well the sound effects aren't really doing you any favors here guys I, um i just think that sinatra had something in his contract where he's like frank sinatra doesn't get punched you can yeah. slap him but he's never taken a fist to the face so i appreciate we haven't come onto the whole love triangle yet and we haven't even really mentioned kim novak's character properly so just for one second, you know, by the way, that after he can't get a fix, after dealing for however many days straight, that the audition is not going to go well. So I had a flash forward to Whiplash and I thought like the band leader was going to really, really give him shit for his terrible drumming. But no, he just basically walks out and doesn't get the gig. That was very sad. I actually felt like I could feel like the shame and the sadness uh, of him just just leaving. Like, I think we've all... I don't know, maybe not all of us. I've definitely had moments in my life where I've been that embarrassed where I just leave without saying anything. Have you ever been on stage and it's not going well and you're not going to get them back and you had like maybe five or ten more minutes and you go, that's enough? Uh, and you just never leave? That, that much time, but I've definitely been like, uh, I'm good here, thanks, bye, yeah. and, and yeah. just walked off. Yeah, I've definitely left two or three minutes on the table for sure. Yeah. I've left, I've left, uh, a lot more than that. I'm just. I'm, I'm, <laughs> this, is, this is enough. It's not going to. Have get you better. ever walked out of an audition and just been like, I, I just. Uh, thanks. I'm. I'm good. N- no, but I know. I. I know of some stories of people who have, and it's. It's. It's heartbreaking, and also. Do, do you know Bobby Lee's famous story about walking out of? Uh, uh, the I. Don't, I can't remember if Tony Scott or Ridley Scott made. Domino. Have you heard this story? That's, That's Tony Scott. Tony Scott. Yeah. Tony no, Scott. I don't know. The, I, I know Bobby. I've known Bobby a long time, but I don't know this story. No. So Bobby got this was this. So Domino was remember that Karen Knightley. And yes. Mickey Rourke? yes. My name is Domino Harvey. I'm a bounty yeah. hunter. 2005. I think it came out. So he was like fresh off of Mad TV. His agent calls him and says, um, you're just going to do a, you know, a first read with Cassie. He's like, hey, whatever. So he stayed up all night, played video games, didn't really look at it. So he walks in and uh, uh, so Joe, you'll know, James, I don't know if you've ever, uh, how much, if you act or if you've been on auditions. I don't know. So usually when you walk into an audition, there's like a bunch of people there who look similar to you. And, you know, it's like, it's in the waiting room. It's all like, it's all guys that look like you. Right, right, right. If you go to a place and you're the only one, it's a big deal. So he walks in and there's nobody else there. So he's like, okay, this is strange. That which means usually they've made a special point to see you. So he's like, okay, this is strange. And then the person comes out, the casting assistant, and offers him coffee, which never <laughs> fucking happens. So immediately he's like, okay, something's different. This is very important. And he walks into the room, and there's like thirty people in there, and Tony Scott's there. And it's like everybody involved in this movie is there. And there's like, it's like, it's a screen test that he didn't know about. Wow. That his agent, <laughs> his agent basically lied to him just to not uh, make him, him nervous. Cause he knew if he said, which, which, you know, manipulating Bobby to do something. So he walks in and he's got 
like eight pages. Like it's a big, it's, and he doesn't know any of it. And now he's in there with Tony Scott. And so this is the way he tells the story is this is what happened. They go, he had the first line. So they go, Bobby, are you ready? And he goes, yeah. And they go, okay, three, two, one action. And he goes like this. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) He got up and he left. He just left. And then he said he, he was in, he was in his car 10 minutes later and CAA calls him and they go, we don't know what the fuck you just did, but we don't, we don't do that. (laughs) So we're going to have to have a meeting. They ended up keeping him, but they were just basically like, I don't know what the fuck you, what is wrong with you, but we don't do that at CAA. Oh my God. Um, so anyway, he, he just, yeah. In That's, front of Tony Scott and every just just left. He just he, left. That is, he frankied it. He he, he, he frankie machined it. it. Um, <laughs> but I so, love that story. It's encouraging because even when you do that, like Bobby still had a great career since then. Yeah. So m- maybe. And know. also to draw a parallel, Bobby kicked many addictions as well. Uh, in, in the same era, so uh, also, famously sober guy now. He also faded being in Domino, which is no bad thing. Um, <laughs> so I'm interested, Nick, in your thoughts on the love triangle in this movie. So we've got mm-hmm. Zosh, Frankie's yep. wife, who yep. was he feels guilty because he was responsible for her accident, but actually she's not in any bad way. She's faking it completely. May I bring up something about Zosh really quick? Two yes. things uh, about Zosh. One is she has a book that says my scrapbook of fatal accidents uh, spelled with an E-N-C-E that she keeps on her lap that she's constantly putting photos in and out of. And then there's one line where she says, I don't know if you guys caught this, where she makes reference to being 25 years old. <laughs> Which you to me switch, switch those two numbers around and you might have something. Yeah, it was so weird. Okay, that's all I say about Zosh. Okay, so I'm going to end up in a marriage like that one day. I know it. Well, <laughs> Frankie kind of feels trapped in this marriage because he feels sorry for Zosh, but clearly his heart is with Molly. The what is she like an, an escort at this yeah, kind of cocktail so. lounge? Um, I, I would say that this movie is very 1950s in its depiction of women, and that's not meant to be a compliment. No. No. Um, but how? what were your thoughts on this love triangle, and did you predict how it was going to end? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you knew it was going to come to a head where we were going to find out what about, or, or Zosh's secret was going to be revealed yes. to Frankie, and then... I mean, I didn't obviously de- imagine her blowing her stupid whistle and killing and throwing herself off of a balcony. But I thought it's going to be a dramatic <laughs> something's going to something. You know, it's not just going to be like, oh, now, you know, sorry, I tried. Take it easy. You see, I didn't like the ending because I thought she was going to jump off the balcony, not die but actually yeah, be genuinely paralyzed. And now she really is in a wheelchair. I thought yeah. the movie was going to have this really heavy irony about it, but no. Well, that would have been better, wouldn't it? Like that would have been much better. Yeah. They, 
But the thing is, they have to kill her because it's the only way that Sinatra can end up with Molly Correct. without him being a bad guy. Because remember, men are always the hero. They aren't. They don't do bad things. They do the right thing. And now that his real wife is dead, he has no reason to stay with her. So now he can be with Molly. So here is where the book dramatically differs from the movie. In the movie, it's Louis, the drug dealer, who discovers that Zosh is faking it. So she kills him. She throws him over the stairs. And everyone thinks it's Frankie, but actually it's Zosh who's killed him. And at the end of the movie, when they realize, oh, Zosh, you can walk this whole time. And the police are like, it was you. And she commits suicide. And off into the sunset go Frank Sinatra and Kim Novak. In the book, it is Frankie who kills Louis in a fight. Oh. It is Frankie who is wanted by the police for murder. And even though the storyline in the middle of this sequence of events where he gets clean happens, he realizes, even though he's now free of his addiction, that he's never going to be able to live with Molly because of Zosh. He's never going to be able to run from the police for that long. So he kills himself. And that's how oh, the wow. book finishes. Yeah, and I you mean, know that Sinatra was not... He was, you know, that's not happening. So while I feel this film has a tragic ending, I feel the book has a better tragic ending. But as I said, the one thing that both stories share is when he goes to Molly, she reasons with him and agrees to help him detox, which is the cold turkey sequence, which, again, putting everything into one side when the movie was made, the limitations, etc., I thought was pretty effective. I actually have been with someone going through this. Um, at multiple times, and I thought it was pretty effective. Also, it was a little over dramatic, but when you see someone in this state, that's kind of what they are like. Uh, they are quite literally clawing at the walls and the doors and breaking things. And uh, the only thing that wasn't quite there was that they do get physically ill, like like the worst, super flu. physically ill. Yeah, like just. They look like they're about to die, like just pure sweat yeah. down their face, which obviously, you know, lim limitations I in sort of There was one point where Sinatra then. runs into the bathroom, right, where I think it's kind of implied that he's throwing that he's up. puking, yeah. 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 Um, and so I actually, this was one of the scenes I thought he did pretty well. Um, I, I was like, this is kind of believable. This is something I've, I've actually seen people go through. And especially just the sort of, uh, uh, yeah, I really, I really felt like this was like, I, I don't know. And I, this is the, the point I really wanted to get Nick's opinion on was this particular scene. Well, yeah, I don't know. maybe I'm just overly sensitive to melodrama. Sure. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just didn't like, yeah, chugging water from a pot. And I, cause I've actually been through this myself. Okay. In a there you go. More controlled way. Like uh, when you have major surgery, they need you to detox off of, you know, which is, it's a control environment, but you've been getting these heavy narcotics for a few days. They can't have you leaving the hospital, you know, without detoxing. So you spend about, you know, a monitored, whatever it is overnight. It's usually only about, you haven't been on it for that long. So it usually only takes about 12 hours, but it's, it is the, the, the thing that I didn't think they captured super well is, is the, it is it is nightmarish. I mean, mm -hmm. physically is one, but it is like. I mean, you're it's. You I mean you want to talk about like a spirit world? 
like it's another plane of delirium. It would require different sort of filmmaking imagery, yes. I guess, right? Like yep. that doesn't then, take then place what in was the room. Available. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I was seeing all kinds of shit when I was coming off of the lauded. Um, yeah, it's it's it is a nightmare. What what scenes did you think Sinatra was effective in then, Joe? I, I thought he was effective in this scene, but I personally didn't go through what Nick went through. And also sure. the melodrama of it seemed to me to be the best way to put it across. And also, I think that part of what you had to do back then is you had to villainize drugs. Right. And you had to make it um, you had to make it look as dirty and as bad as possible. There's like no you know, there's no sympathy for for this particular thing you have to be like oh this is an evil thing i'm i'm casting out of my system so i gave them a lot of leeway for that where i thought sinatra was maybe the absolute worst in this entire movie is in the final scene where his wife has just thrown herself off a balcony and he's stroking her arm like yes. as as she dies and as like the police are like dragging are like trying to drag her into the ambulance and he could not seem any less concerned over what's just happened. Um, no, I, yeah, the stroking of the arm is, but again, that's maybe one of my problems with filmmaking in general is I just like, I have a hard time looking past melodrama and, uh, and, and giving a film credit for in its time. What could they do? Well, I just immediately shut off it. Like, that's not real. That doesn't come on. That's not when you have to, be a little more understanding and have a little more context. I guess I'm just not good at contextualizing film in that way in general. Yeah. Well, look, as I said at the start, I think there's a lot of things about this film that I liked. Um, we've all agreed that Louis is by far and away the best character and probably the best so performance good. in the movie. So um, good. It, generally speaking, I think it deals with addiction pretty well. The thing I was disappointed about was the poker game. I liked the idea of this character being a dealer who was in demand because he was really good at his job. I didn't like the fact that he also played in the game. That whole And look, maybe I'm just not aware. Maybe these games existed where the house would bankroll a dealer and everyone would come and try to beat them. I guess that's well, the thing. See, that, that's, what made, kid, right? that's what made sense to, to me, actually. I was like, they wouldn't want him to deal this game so badly unless there was financial incentive for the house. I mean, that, that I was like, Oh, this, this tracks. And obviously this isn't, this isn't what we understand private games to be, but yeah, maybe it was of the, time that i guess i thought it was because he was obviously gets in a lot of hands per hour he runs a, he's <laughs> James really is thinking at, it from the poker stars rake perspective he's I, like well I, like a good dealer is going to bring in a lot of rake it's going to be a lot of hands per hour it's going to be I a thought, lot of tokes but also i thought he was kind of like someone who would make friends with the players just being a really hospitable host i just thought he was really good at what he did but you're right nick it makes sense that that's why they wanted him in the game as I said, the flip side of that is why the players would want to take on someone who's that good. But then, as I said, if you think about the Cincinnati kid, everyone wants to play the man because they want to know if they can beat the man. So maybe it's that kind of male ego, that testosterone aspect where it's like, this guy's really good. Let's see if I can take him. I sat with the best and I won. Yeah. It's that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. That classic movie cliche. Um, yeah. Yeah. Look, I didn't know what to expect going in. Um, I think it's fair to say, Joe, that when we have looked at other 
poker-related movies from this era. We've not been particularly impressed. This is probably one of the better ones. Overall, as a movie, yeah. Uh, this movie did kind of, I felt like it was, even though not a very long movie, did feel kind of long by the end. Um, so I, I did, it did lose my interest uh, once he was like on the run and all that, I was like really not very interested anymore to me. All the interesting things had already occurred, but in general, yes, like I don't regret watching this movie and I think there's like a decent amount you could take away from it. And also, even though Nick's not capable of this, of its time, I, I think it's like overall pretty solid. Uh, well, Nick, I hope it wasn't That's too fair. torturous an experience for you to, for us to make you watch this film before allowing you on this podcast. Oh, of course. I, I uh, I, I, as soon as Joe mentioned the name, I, I brought it up to my, my mom loves old movies. I know. Do you know that she's like, oh yeah, great. And and the other thing also that kind of root, she goes, oh yeah, the one where Sinatra's a heroin addict. Without, <laughs> I, I didn't know it, and I go, okay, that's okay, that's what we're getting into. Fair enough. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah, Nick, it was great to meet you, and thank you so much for joining James, us for this review well. film. Absolutely. And Thanks Joe, for having me, guys. I'm afraid we're not done with this film just yet. There's a super fan standing by. Let's do it. Oh, Lord. And we welcome to the podcast, Stefan Razvan Enna. Hello, Stefan. Hello. Hello, Dems. Hello, Joe. Stefan, are you aware of what year it is? The year of Romania always, right? It's, it's the year of <laughs> Romania. That's right. Now, I'm. Uh, it's one of the few accents I can actually pick out because I have such an affinity for the Romanian people, of course, it being the year of Romania. What's your story? Uh, what can I say? So I moved to England uh, like six years ago, been living, working and playing here since then. And yeah, well, unlike other super fans, I don't work in IT. <laughs> I'm a driver, uh, Uber driver. <laughs> Uber driver. Is it still good Uber business driver. driving Uber? Is it in London or is it outside? Mm-hmm. Where, where, where London, in London. Yeah. It's uh, picking up. What can I say? Better and better <laughs> since, yeah. Man. Oh, drive- all the restrictions lifted. It's getting better now. <laughs> good. Driving good. in London in general without restrictions is incredibly stressful. You must be a very patient person. <laughs> yeah, I guess you have to be to do this job uh, patient and very careful, especially like yeah. London being oh, yeah. a tourist city. People come from all over the world. Yeah. In England, we drive on the other side, <laughs> you know, like we say. And uh, yeah. It's uh, difficult. <laughs> so you said that you're working and playing here, Stefan. Do you actually get to the poker tables that often? Uh, I do. I live just outside of London. I live in Slough, and it's a bit of a, That's journey, a, bit of a journey for me to get yeah. to like Eltham or Stratford or the Hippodrome. Yeah. Uh, but I try to get there as often as I can. Low stakes, like 50 pound tournaments or 100 yeah. pound tournaments uh yeah hope to i don't know maybe qualify to the pca or something now with all the options wow. available there i mean you could win three sunday millions how about that yes yeah, that, I, that's why i'm here i hope i can do that absolutely <laughs> that was the bribe that was the incentive that's, uh, three 109 sunday million tickets in exchange for watching the movie now as you can imagine uh, Stefan, we've just had a very long discussion about this film, uh, so we don't want to spend too much time reviewing it any further. Headline thoughts? Uh, 
Uh, what can I say? I actually enjoyed it, to be honest. Good. Uh, recently, I've been watching a lot of anime. So it was a <laughs> change of pace. Like, oh, yeah, it's a little different. The black <laughs> and white different. Sinatra movie is about <laughs> as far from anime as you could possibly get. Exactly, exactly. Uh, the last, uh, how should I put it, old movie I watched was actually another one you recommended, uh, Big Hand for the Little Lady. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, yeah. that was another poker movie. That was the last did. one I watched. Okay. And, <laughs> yeah. Now this, it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, white. less poker in this movie, but you know, still has a has gambling at that at the core of it. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> so ten questions now. I said at the start of the show, Stefan. I think this is going to be luck of the draw. I think, as someone who saw the movie for the first time in the last forty-eight hours, that most of these questions should be pretty easy. There's a couple that I'm like. Oh, Patrick, you sly fox. So you know how it works. You give me a number yeah. between one and ten, and let's see how it goes. What can I say? It's always coming seven. Always <laughs> ah, coming right. seven. Okay, so this is an observational question. How many candles were on Frankie's welcome home cake? Uh, one. It was just one, and that will get you two points. I would say that is one of the tougher questions, and that was put in at number seven. So you managed to fade. You managed to dodge a bullet there as far as I'm concerned. I'm in big trouble. (laughs) Joe, what question are you going to go for? Uh, What's a question I've never chosen first? Question number four. Question number four. Which actor plays Frankie's best friend, Sparrow? I'll take the choices. <laughs> Is it Robert Strauss, Arnold Stang, Darren McGavin, or George Matthews? It's not Darren McGavin. Can you read the first two again? Robert Strauss, Arnold Stang. Arnold Stang. Arnold Stang for a single point. So you have a one-point advantage going into the second round, Stefan, and you can have any number other than seven or four. Uh, let's go one. Number one. It's never mentioned explicitly, but what drug is it implied that Frankie is addicted to? Uh, that would be heroin. It would be heroin for two points. Joseph. Uh, what, what, give me the lowest number, please. Number two. Again, as I said, most of these are pretty easy. What instrument does Frankie want to play in the band? He wants to play the drums. Bless his heart. That will give you two points. You're still one point behind, Joe, as we go into the next yeah. round. And Stefan, it's your question. Uh, let's go in order. Number three. Number three. What is the name of Frankie's drug dealer? Uh, Louis. It is Louis for two points. Joe, you want to keep going in order? Number five. Number five. What's the name of the bar that Frankie, Frank, Frankie frequents? Oh, we did. Oh, fuck. It's different than the, the club where the girl works, right? Correct. I'll take the I'll take the choices. Damn. Is it Engars, Antex, Olsons, or U6? Olsons. No, it's Antex. Antex. Hmm. 
That's on like- me. I should I should have I should have paid attention to the name of the bar. I should have known that was a potential question. I'm not going to get mad about that one. Do you want to keep going in order, Stefan, and go with yes. question six? Yes. What is the name of Frankie's wife? Uh, her tricky. Her name is Sophia Machine, but everyone calls her Zosh. I mean, you should get a wow. bonus point for knowing her wow. actual name and her nickname. <laughs> I will just give you the two points for Zosh because that was what was written down here. Uh, Joe, your penultimate... I didn't penultimate... Pay attention to that. What can I say? Absolutely. Wow. Uh, your penultimate question, Joe, you can have eight, nine, or ten. Eight. What animals does Sparrow rescue, in inverted commas? Dogs. He does indeed for two points. That will give you a total of five. And we go into the final round, nine or ten. Oh, I remember nine is pretty tricky for Joe. Uh, yeah, ten. <laughs> <laughs> Ten's pretty easy. What does Frankie's wife do just before she jumps off the balcony? Oh, she blows her whistle. <laughs> she does. Give you the full uh, yeah, compliment of points. It's not a laughing matter, but... Well, <laughs> no, it's pretty funny it's, in the it's, movie. It it's, it's defies any explanation whatsoever. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Stefan, you've scored maximum points, by the way. You've put up 10. And Joe, you can salvage a bit of dignity here. I'm afraid you can't win, but I think you're going to get two points here. What is Frankie's last name? Machine. For two points. So the final score is 10 to Stefan, 7 to Joe. Congratulations, Stefan. It's sometimes hard when we pick the subject, and it's a movie that Joe's just seen and his memory's pretty strong. But as I said, I think the luck of the questions helped you out there. Uh, You do get... Those three $109 Sunday Million tickets. Plus, thank we'll send you, you thank some. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We'll send you some Pokestar swag as well. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. My pleasure, guys. My pleasure. It's always been a pleasure listening to you, and I'm happy I made the decision to come on. And yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, maybe someday I can play against a Romanian guy when it's not the year of Romania, but what <laughs> chance did I really have? I don't think you have any chances of that. It's always the area from me, from what it's. <laughs> Stefan, thanks again. All right, my babies, we're just about out of time for this week's show. When are we back? Like, I just realized I'm on vacation right now, technically, and I don't know when we're coming back. Okay. I haven't put a date in the calendar yet, but I think it's probably going to be either end of July or beginning of August. We are going to Barcelona slightly earlier than we normally do. I know we haven't gone for the last two years, but when Barcelona was a regular thing, it's normally towards the end of the month. This time around, it's towards the beginning of August. So yeah, just before that, I guess you might be over this side of the Atlantic at that time. I just want to have a catch up where we can talk about what we have done during the summer months, talk about what you are doing in the UK, and also... Most importantly, look ahead to one of the most popular and iconic stops on the European Poker Tour. Okay, so what kind of plugs do we need to make to to tide us over from this episode to that episode? I think the most important thing is Discord, because I'm going to try and stay on there. Uh, I'm also going to continue wading my way through superfan applications, because there is a dedicated channel for people who want to come on the show and compete for prizes. Um And of course, the Sunday Million streams continue. And that's the weird thing, is that we'll be punctuating live Sunday Million streams with pre-recorded podcasts. It's going to get very, very confusing. 
It is going to get confusing. And if I can make one quick plug, I'm a little confused. I am doing an Edinburgh show this year. Not exactly sure of the dates just yet. So please stay on top of that. Uh, if you guys are in the UK and want to come up and see some comedy in Scotland. And that was the thing I was alluding to. I'd love us to basically get the next show out just before you start that run. Um, but obviously, it probably will have to be, right? Because you'll probably be busy during that time. But we will catch up in July. We'll set a date. We'll record episode 252 and then we'll go to barcelona all right my babies that is all the time we have got for this week's show until a few weeks from now until nearly the end of summer for james hardigan i am joe stapleton smell you later <laughs>